Have you ever heard the legend of the man who slept for 20 years? Raise your hand if you've heard it before. Raise your hand if you think it might be good to get a really long nap like that. <laughs> 20 years might be too long. So this legend takes place in the Catskills of New York, and it's the story of Rip Van Winkle. So as legend goes, he went out squirrel hunting one day, took a shotgun, took his trusty hound dog, and while he was up in the middle of nowhere, in the middle of a mountain, in the woods, he runs into this big party of guys, and they're like, hey, do you want to share a drink with us? And we're not, we're not told what the drink is, but he's like, yeah, sure. And they're like, actually, we have like a bowling alley right over here on the mountain. You want to go bowling with us? And he's like, yeah, sure, sounds great, which is hilarious because, I mean, what's happening here? We're in the middle of nowhere. Okay, and so he, he does bowling with them, and he gets tired, so he just lays down by a tree to take a little nap, and he wakes up the next morning, and his beard is all the way down to his feet. His dog is gone, and his shotgun is rusty, and he's like, wow, what was in that drink? That was crazy. And so he decides to walk back to town, and when he gets there, everybody looks different. Town looks different. There's buildings there that weren't there before. He goes to his house, and he's like, where's my wife? Where's my kids? And they're all grown up. His kids are grown. They have kids of their own, and he realizes that he's been asleep for 20 years, and he enjoys a nice retirement, hanging out with his grandkids, and, you know, loving on his kids. This is one of those stories that people pass down for generations. It's one of those urban legends. I want to welcome you to week three of Urban Legends. We've been having a lot of fun with this series. Come on. And just like we pass down stories in culture, we also pass down urban legends about God. I mean, we don't mean to. It's just sometimes we say things that we've heard other people say that sound like they're probably true. Or sometimes we say things that are actually in the Bible, but they're taken out of context, like today's urban legend. And before we know it, fiction becomes fact, and stories become history. And today's urban legend is called, Does God Give and Take Away? It comes from this verse, and we'll put it up on the screens for you, Job 121. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Raise your hand if you've heard of this verse or this urban legend. Oh yeah, I think we all have. It's quoted at funerals. We sing songs about it sometimes. For some strange reason, we, we kind of find comfort in the fact that maybe God does take away. Because, you know, then we're like, well, at least there's a reason for our losses. Like there's a divine purpose in it. But loss and death and decay, they were never part of God's original plan. If you look at the Garden of Eden, that was not his plan, and we're going to look at that today. This is an urban legend. God gives, but he does not take away. My seven-year-old Sophie was asking this week, what are you going to be talking about on Sunday? And I told her, well, you know, the urban legend that God gives and he also takes away, because God doesn't take from us. He gives to us. And she said, well, Mom, actually, Jesus does take our sins. I'm like, oh, Yeah. That's a really good point, but that's all he takes, and I love that she said that because it shows when you know Jesus, you don't have to know a bunch of theology in order to know who God is. You don't have to know everything. Come on. Even a seven-year-old can say, no, no, that's not who my God is. He takes 
our sins. He takes our mistakes. He takes our worries. He takes all the places we fall short. She was funny too because she's like, oh, that's how you pronounce that book of the Bible. I always thought it was Job, which is another urban legend. It's Job. Um, When you know Jesus, you know that taking anything but sin is not what God does. And we see it throughout the Bible, which is God's written word. And then we see it through Jesus, and he is the living word. And when you know Jesus, he gives meaning to the written word. You need both the written word and the living word. John 1.1 1, 1 says, In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. And verse 12, But to all who received him, who believed in his name, he gave power to become children of God. And the word became flesh and lived among us. And we have seen his glory and the glory as of a father's only son, full of grace and truth. And from his fullness, we have all received grace upon grace. So in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. And he took on flesh. And this is talking about Jesus. And because of Jesus, we receive grace. Whenever we read the Bible, we want to read it through a relationship with Jesus. Without Jesus, some things aren't going to make sense. Verses will appear to contradict each other. Without Jesus, we see the Bible as a book of rules, which it's not. Without Jesus, we miss the point. What you believe about Jesus determines what you see. And when you know you need Jesus, and when you get to know Jesus, every page reveals his grace. From Genesis to Revelation, it's all whispering the name of Jesus. And Jesus said, anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. Jesus is God in flesh. He's the evidence of God's love. For God so loved the world that he gave. There God goes given again. He gave us Jesus so that we could have a relationship with him. That's who God is. He's a giver. So Job was half right. We'll we'll give him credit for 50% here. God does give. James 1.17 says, Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of the heavenly lights, who does not change like shifting shadows. Everything good is from God. Your house, your job, your friends, your church, everything good that you have, you can thank God for it. You know, we're going into November and Thanksgiving. All the good things, they're from God. And when he gives, he does not change his mind. He does not change like shifting shadows. He's not like, here you go. Oop, never mind, taking that back. Oh, you did something. I'm going to take that away. No, no, no. He does not take. Romans 11:29 says, For the gifts and the calling of God are irrevocable. Everything freely received through grace, everything we received that we did not earn, we don't deserve, he gives us and he doesn't take it back. It's irrevocable. No matter what you do, no matter who you are, he gives and he does not take away. So if that's true, who takes then? John 10.10a says, The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. The thief, Satan, the enemy of your soul, the accuser, he comes to steal, kill, and destroy. And what Job should have said is the Lord gives and Satan takes away. So we're going to look at his story the way that maybe you've heard it before. Let's check it out. Here, we've got the verse on the screen for you. Thank you. Job 1.8, it says, The Lord said to Satan, Have you considered my servant Job? There's no one on earth like him. He's blameless and upright, a man who fears God and shuns evil. And Satan says, Does Job fear God for nothing? Have you not put a hedge around him and his household and everything he has? 
You've blessed the work of his hands so that his flocks and his herds are spread throughout the land. But now stretch out your hand, strike everything he has. He'll surely curse you to your face. And the Lord said to Satan, very well then. Everything he has is in your power, but on the man himself, do not lay a finger. And this is how we normally read it. But when you read it in this translation, it's a little confusing because it kind of looks like maybe God is giving the enemy permission to harm Job. And we say, how could a loving God allow bad things to happen to good people? I mean, given everything we've just seen about God's goodness, about his character, it doesn't really make sense. But when you read it again in a word-for-word translation, here's what it actually says in the original language. Jehovah said to Satan, Have you set your heart on my servant Job because there is none like him in the earth, a perfect and upright man fearing God and turning away from evil? In other words, God's saying to Satan, Are you looking at Job because he loves me so much? Are you looking at Job because he's one of my kids? And because he's doing well? He's drawn your attention? He's saying, Satan, I know you're after Job. I know you're onto him. I'm onto you. Satan's after Job because Job loves God. When things are going wrong in your life, it's not because God is punishing you or allowing things to happen. In fact, a lot of the times, it means you're on the right track. You know, last night we had an amazing time at the Hullabaloo. Come on, make some noise if you were there. I'm honestly blown away about just everything that God did, about so many people's lives being changed. But I knew this week that that was going to happen just because of all of the opposition that we faced in our office, just all the crazy things happening that are not coincidences. And I'm like, oh, cool. This is a compliment that there's something here worth going after. It's like, you know, God saying to Satan, have you set your heart on Hope Church because they love me? Because they're reaching people? Whenever we film someone's story, whenever someone gets baptized, whenever you take a step towards God, the enemy wants you to take a step back but we get to rest in Jesus. You know, God laughs at the enemy. We can laugh too because of Jesus, and we're going to look at that in a little bit. Job 1.12, And Jehovah said to Satan, Behold, all all that is his is in your hand, only do not lay your hand on him. So God's saying, The fact is, Satan, everything that Job has, you actually have authority over. God's not giving the devil permission. He's stating a fact. The truth is, we gave him permission in the Garden of Eden. We gave away our authority. So let me tell you a true story. In the beginning, God created the world and he gave us all authority. He said, rule and reign, take dominion, be fruitful and multiply. That was his original plan. Excuse me. Sometimes you just get something stuck in your throat. He says, I give you all this, all this goodness, and I give you free will. And I say, just don't eat of the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, because if you eat of it, you'll die. And why did God put that in the garden? Because with free will, you've got to be able to have choices. And so Adam and Eve, they believed a lie from the enemy who told them, you'll be like God if you eat of that fruit. The truth is they were already made in God's image. God says they're already like him. They believed a lie that he was holding out, and they believed their enemy over the creator. They believed the one who takes instead of the one who gives. And they ate the fruit. 
And when they did, sin and death entered the world, and the earth was cursed. We gave our authority to the enemy. Now, don't be mad at Adam and Eve. We would have done the same thing, too. We're human. But the fact is, we gave away our authority. But from the very beginning, God had a plan to get it back through Jesus. If you look at Jesus, he was tempted, just like us. The devil said to him, if you'll worship me, I'll give you authority all over the earth because Luke 4, 6, all of their authority and splendor has been given to me. This is Satan talking. He's saying, I have all authority over the earth. But unlike Adam and Eve, Jesus, he didn't believe the enemy's lies. At the cross, Jesus defeated the enemy once and for all. He took on all the places that we fell short and missed the mark, all our sins, everything that kept us separated from God, and he took back all the authority the enemy stole. Come on. When he rose, he said, Matthew 28, 18, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. All authority. That means Satan has none. People get afraid of the enemy and they think he's some big opponent, but he doesn't have authority. He's a thief. You see, God gave us authority over the planet and the devil took it. God gave us freedom and the devil got us to choose slavery to sin. God gave us eternal life and we forfeited it, but Jesus took back what the devil stole. Come on. The only thing he'll take from you is your sin, your shame, your sickness, your worries, and your fears. Remember, any time that you're stolen from, that is not God. God gives. Jesus took back authority, and then he gives it to us. Luke 10, 19, he says, I have given you authority to overcome all the power of the enemy. Nothing will harm you. The world is under the control of the enemy, but he doesn't have authority except what we give him, which I think is so encouraging. When we trust in Jesus, we have all authority. 1 John 5, 19 puts it like this. We know that we are children of God and that the whole world is under the control of the evil one. So we're the children of God. We have authority that comes from Jesus, and the enemy still has power over the world, but our authority is greater than his power. If you look at Job, though, he didn't have that option. Job's story happened before Jesus' story, before his victory, before he took back the authority and gave it to us. So everything that Job had was subject to the control of the enemy, not because God gave him permission, but because Adam and Eve gave up authority. So here's what happened. Job 1.14, a messenger arrived at Job's home with this news. Your oxen were plowing with the donkeys feeding beside them. When the Sabaeans raided us, they stole all the animals and killed all the farmhands. I'm the only one who escaped to tell you. In one moment, Job lost so much of his livelihood. He lost the animals that he used for farming. He lost the people that he employed. He lost most of his investments. It's devastating. Maybe you're here today and someone has stolen from you. They stole your promotion. They stole your dignity. They stole your innocence. They stole your reputation. They stole your peace. They're stealing your joy. Don't blame God for other people's choices. You can't control other people, but you can choose how you respond to being robbed. Run to God for healing. Run to him for comfort. Run to him to receive his love. Run to the giver when something is taken. Sometimes we lose things because of other people, because of their free will. 
Before Job even has a chance to process this huge loss, the next verse, verse 16 says, while he was still speaking, another messenger arrived with this news. The fire of God has fallen from heaven and burned up your sheep and the shepherds. I'm the only one who escaped to tell you. Job's like, no, not the sheep and the shepherds. Now I've lost everything. Look at this urban legend, though, that this messenger says. Look at his words. He says, the fire of God from heaven burned up your sheep and shepherds. Wait a minute. Who's behind all of this? This isn't God's work. It's the enemy. Satan was the one who said, I am going to be picking on Job. You know, insurance companies, they call natural disasters acts of God. And this just reinforces this urban legend. This wasn't God. God doesn't take. This was the enemy using his power over the earth to destroy. He still wreaks havoc using natural disasters today. But we don't have to be afraid because Jesus calmed the storms. He spoke to the wind and the waves. He said, be still. He used his authority. Come on. And he says, you will do even greater things. Your faith could move mountains. In the next verse, some other people stole Job's camels. Verse 18 then, while he was still speaking, another messenger had news. Your sons and daughters were feasting in their oldest brother's home. Suddenly a powerful wind swept in from the wilderness and hit the house on all sides. The house collapsed and all your children are dead. I'm the only one who escaped to tell you. This is really sad. He lost his house and his kids because of a tornado. Who did this? It wasn't God. It was the enemy. You need to know that sometimes uh, there are a lot of things that are the enemy. And at the same time, not every bad thing is the devil. Don't give him too much credit. Some of it is the curse of the fall. If you think about how our bodies age, that's just one of the effects of the fall. All of creation is subject to Adam and Eve's decision not to trust God. And that means things decay and die, weather patterns get worse, is a natural consequence of sin that we're still feeling. But the good news is Romans 8.20 says, Against its will, creation was subjected to God's curse, but with eager hope, creation looks forward to the day when it will join God's children in glorious freedom from death and decay. Because of Jesus, we have freedom from that. Creation doesn't yet. One day God will restore what was cursed. He'll create a new heaven, a new earth. But for now, this isn't the Garden of Eden I'm sorry to tell you, maybe you've noticed. Not every bad thing is from the devil. Some of it is just a consequence of the fall. If you look at my gray hairs, I've gotten a lot more since I became your lead pastor. <laughs> my gray hairs are a result of the pigment cells in my hair dying. That's it. The pigment cells in your hair, they die. Am I going to blame the devil? Taking all my beauty? No. Some of it is a natural response to the fall. Yours too. And at the same time, the enemy is probably responsible for more than you realize as well. Job 2.7 says, Satan went out from the presence of the Lord and afflicted Job with painful sores from the soles of his feet to the crown of his head. Then Job took a piece of broken pottery and scraped himself with it as he sat among the ashes. Gross. I told this story at our Hope Academy Chapel this week. And I asked my son later, he's five, I said, what'd you learn from chapel today when mommy preached? He's like, I learned that Job had a piece of pottery that he scraped himself with. <laughs> At least he learned something. 
So Job's lost everything, his stuff, his house, employees, children, and now his health. Did God make him sick? No. It was the enemy. Is it always the enemy? I don't think so. Our bodies aren't perfect because of the fall. Some of us are born with sickness. Some of us get sick because of exposure to chemicals. Y'all have seen those commercials, right, where they're like, if you were exposed to this in 1970, then you have a lawsuit on your hands. Some sickness is from the enemy. My kids got sick this week. Uh, some of it, I think, is because Ryder licked a door handle. You know, germs. But also, my kids always get sick when God is about to do something amazing through our church. Christmas, they're puking. Easter, throwing up. Sick this week. It's just a distraction. I take care of them, take care of their symptoms, and I pray for them, and I don't let it distract me. And the good news for us is that we have access to healing that Job did not have. We have access and authority through Jesus. When Jesus walked the earth, he healed the sick. And at the cross, he healed our diseases. Isaiah 53, 5 says, He was pierced for our rebellion, crushed for our sins. He was beaten so we could be whole. He was whipped so we could be healed. So why isn't everybody healed? I don't know. The Bible doesn't tell us. But I do know that God doesn't cause diseases. Did God cause me to have a miscarriage in 2016? Nope, that's not my God. Are there genetic abnormalities that happen? Yes. Did God cause my mom to have lung cancer and die a few years ago? Definitely not. That's not who he is. Part of it was a lifelong addiction to nicotine. I believed God for healing right up until she died, though, because that's available to us in Jesus, no matter what causes our sickness. I can't explain why every sickness happens. I also can't explain why some aren't healed. But I do know that my God is a God who heals, not a God who steals. Anything that takes from you is not God. And if you don't know that, you'll sit down and you'll accept your sickness like Job did, just scraping himself with the pottery. Because he's like, God took this, what am I going to do? But what if God wants to do a miracle in your life? The truth is, no weapon formed against you shall prosper. That's what the Bible says. The truth is, though the righteous get knocked down, they get back up. The truth is, you have authority. Get back up today. Don't be unaware of the enemy's schemes. Ephesians 6.11 says, put on the full armor of God so you'll be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, authorities, powers of this dark world. That's the world we live in. And against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Your faith can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the enemy. That's exciting. No matter what tries to take from you, you can pick up your shield of faith. And those arrows can't touch you when you use your faith. They come at you. Those weapons are formed, but they don't prosper. They fly at you. They hit your shield, and they just go, ding, just bounce to the ground. Ding, ding, sickness. Ding, someone's stealing from you. Ding, loss. 
I take up my shield of faith and I believe in my God. Come on, I believe in my God to restore and redeem and to use this for good. The enemy will try to come against you when you're on the right track, but you don't have to let him. The only way he can get to you is by getting you to believe lies that separate you from your father. We all know someone who's mad at God because of something that happened in their lives. That's the saddest thing. Jesus said in Luke twenty-two thirty-one, Simon, stay on your toes. Satan's tried his best to separate all of you from me, like chaff from wheat. Don't let him separate you from your good, giving father. If you believe our good God does evil, Satan wins. If you believe God is allowing you to be sick, then Satan wins. It's like if a scammer calls you from another country. Most of us don't even pick up the phone now when that happens because our cell phone says, probable scammer. But if they call you and you pick up the phone and they're like, hey, I need you to send me some money, chances are you'll be like, fat chance, hang up the phone, right? They have no power. They're many countries away. All they have are their lies, and you don't have to believe them. I have a friend, she got her wisdom teeth out, and she was under the influence of some powerful, you know, stuff that knocks you out. And someone called her, and they said, you need to send us money to pay your Amazon thing. And she did it, because she was under the influence of some powerful wisdom teeth stuff. But the thing is, most of us, when, when we're thinking clearly, we're like, no, I'm not going to let you steal from me. And it's so easy for us to do that with a person on the phone who's trying to scam us. But then when the enemy comes at us, we're like, oh, maybe that could be God. No, we can say, you're not going to steal from me. He can only steal if you believe his lies. <laughs> Stay on your toes. Lift up your shield. Don't let the thief steal. Don't give him access to your peace or your dreams or your hope. Don't hand over any authority. James 4, 7 says, resist the devil and he'll flee from you. Resist him and he flees. He literally runs away. You don't have to be afraid of him. The word resist here is a military term. It means actually go on the defense, fight back against him. Don't settle for an urban legend. Job 1, 21, he said, I came naked from my mother's womb. I'll be naked when I leave. The Lord gave me what I had, and the Lord has taken it away. There's that lie again. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Verse 22. In all of this, Job did not sin by blaming God. Wait a second. Verse 21, he said, God took away. Verse 22, it says, Job did not blame God. He said, God's taken from me right there in black and white, right? He actually says it a lot in the book of Job. There's like five or six times where he's like, why is God picking on me? This is the worst. He keeps taking from me. He does a lot of whining. I mean, I don't want to accuse him, but it seems like he's blaming God. He seems like he's complaining. And you know what? I don't really blame Job. He had a really tough day, you know. Shepherds, dead. Servants, dead. Livestock, dead. Children, dead. He still had his wife. But she said, you should curse God and die. Thanks for the support, honey. <laughs> so everything he has is destroyed. And I think if we were in the same spot, we might say similar things. In fact, we might have said some things like this. There are probably moments where we've all blamed God for something that we can't make sense of. Maybe we haven't said it out loud, but we've wrestled with those same thoughts. We've been like, God, 
where were you? Job said, God takes away. But then in Job 122, here's another translation. It says, not once through all of this did Job sin. Not once did he blame God. Crazy. So what's the deal? And this is the whole point of this message. This is where we want to read the Bible through the lens of the cross, where we interpret what we read with what we know about who God is. We all know that Job blamed God a lot. Later in the book, he said, I spoke of things that I knew nothing about. He blamed God, and he knew he was wrong for doing it. He sinned. He knew he messed up. But Job is not blameless because of his actions. He's blameless because God says so. He's not guilty of sin because God chooses not to remember what he just did the verse before. Love keeps no record of wrong. God chooses to give him forgiveness that he doesn't deserve. That blows my mind. James 11 is talking about the book of Job. It says, You have heard of the perseverance of Job and seen the end intended by the Lord, that the Lord is very compassionate and merciful. What was the end intended by the Lord? That we would see his compassion and his mercy in Job's story. If we read it any other way, we're missing the point. God says Job is blameless right after Job blames him. This is grace in the Old Testament. This is a preview of the grace to come through Jesus. In a time when people were punished for sin, sometimes even through natural disasters and sickness and death, this is a picture of God's grace, giving us what we don't deserve and what we didn't earn simply because he has it to give. When we trust in Jesus, there is only grace for the places we fall short, not punishment. Just like Job was declared blameless while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. While we were still missing the mark, Jesus died so that we could be righteous, not because we're perfect, not because of anything we do. We still make mistakes like Job. It's because he is perfect. It's because Jesus was perfect. And when we trust him and receive his love, he changes us from the inside out. And we still make mistakes, but he chooses not to see. He says, you're still righteous. You're still my son. You're still my daughter. Right after we make those mistakes, just like Job, God says, I don't care what you did last night. I know about the things that you're trying to make up for. You don't have to prove yourself. I love you right where you're at. When you trust in Jesus and the enemy tries to accuse you, God says, no, 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 no. She's blameless because of my son. He's blameless because of Jesus. You are who I say you are. God is a good father who only gives. And we simply respond by receiving 